Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello, hello, automotive friends, and welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'll be your host today. Today on the show, I have another guest joining me, Lucas Underwood. And Lucas is a shop owner, technician, and uh, all-around great guy. Um, Lucas is going to share with us today uh, a perspective from a shop owner, uh, you know, somebody who has you know, done the technician role, has fixed a lot of vehicles, and been successful and been very successful in running a shop as well. And Lucas has some really interesting ideas on how to improve the industry as a whole. Um, But for something that really pertains to the listeners of this podcast, ways to improve everyday life for automotive technicians, for the guy in the bay doing the work, you know, working for that paycheck, um, how do we make it better for for all of us? You know, um, he and he's got a really great perspective on the way to do this and how to run a shop. And of course, you know, not all of us are going to be running shops, but I still encourage you to listen to this episode because he's going to provide you with ways as a technician to maybe nudge your shop in the right direction, which is only going to benefit you in the long run if the shop is more profitable you should be more profitable as well. Of course, if that doesn't happen, maybe you should be looking for another shop. But anyways, uh, I really enjoyed this discussion with Lucas. Uh, He's very well-spoken, and uh, it was great having him on the podcast. So let's jump into the interview. Do you edit your podcast? I do. Um, When I first started, I really edited it like heavy. I was going in and, and really trying to I don't know, mess with it a bunch. And then I found it's much better to just leave it natural. And unless somebody's like sneezing into the mic or drop something, that's really the only thing that I edit out now. So getting it in and good, let's roll with it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just uh, more natural. And you know, you say, um, sometimes, and that's just, that's the way it goes, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on the show today, Lucas. I appreciate you being yes, here. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate you having me. How's everything going for you? Uh, it's going fantastic. It's it's going really well. Uh, the shop is busy. We've actually booked out for about two and a half, three weeks right now, um, and we've we finally started to slow ourselves down a little bit. We had got a little overzealous, if you will, um, <laughs> so we've we've started slowing ourselves back down a little bit. But uh, yeah, just really busy and and blessed. Everybody's happy and healthy, and that's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, no kidding. I was I was at a shop today, and he's like, I have twenty seven trucks out in the lot right now to get fixed. He's like, I don't I don't know what to do because I can't find anybody. <laughs> <laughs> to to yeah. go work on these things and and I'm so far behind it's it is crazy how busy some places are right now 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have been extraordinarily blessed through this whole ordeal. Right. And I think a lot of shops have kind of watching the pulse of the industry. You, you've kind of hear that that most shops have been extremely busy. I think it's interesting to point out that the shops that haven't been busy, especially in the independent areas, um, are typically shops who haven't trained and haven't educated themselves on marketing, things like that. There, you can see a, a definitive difference if they've not been proactive. They're struggling right now. Yeah. Um, in my area, the ones that I've noticed, cause I do the mobile thing, I go to a lot of different shops and it seems like some of the chains like a uh, Firestone or tires plus they've been, they have not been busy. Uh, their, their right. lots are not quite as full as some of these smaller mom and pop or, you know, four or five base shops that are independently owned. Those are the ones that just really seem to be slammed right now as far as just I go there and their their lot is just packed full of vehicles every single time. Right. Right. Well, you know, I've I've got a good friend who um really believes in the relational business model versus the transactional model. And one thing that I have seen from that here in this pandemic situation is is that the transactional model doesn't care about their customers enough for their customers to care about them. So when all this hit, those that had built relationships with their customers, man, they're really doing well because the customers realize, hey, I need to be supporting them. I need to be taking care of them. I need to help. Right. Whereas a lot of these shops that were transactional, they're just, you know, that client's just a number. And I know that sounds crazy, but but when you build a relationship with somebody, they will respect that relationship when you need help. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And uh I, I've seen it. I, I actually used to work for Firestone uh, for about seven years, and I, I saw the they, they moved the the shop managers through pretty frequently, and I worked with a number of them. And you could see the difference of the the store managers that are really building those relationships with people that actually care about them and not just treating it like the retail store that it is and the number and, Hey, can we sign you up for a Firestone credit card today? And, and there was people that did run it that way. And how many, how many fluid changes can we sell this old lady? And it made a huge, huge difference on the long-term business of a, of a single store. So, um, absolutely. It's absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. If you're going to retain customers, I think. Right. Right. And, and here's the thing is that it's important to recognize that a shop that's, that's set up as a transactional business, you know, the marketing dollars that go in to keep that machine running consistently, man, I, I would just rather have customers that expect me to be their mechanic for life. Right. Expect me to be here taking care of their grandchildren. Um, I would much rather work with them than I would somebody that says, hey, I'm going to come once and I'm gone. I'm down the road. You know, I'm all about building relationships. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And we were talking the other night. We chatted before and. I know you were saying some, sometimes you can go, you can even go a little too far with that, trying to be everybody's friend. Yeah. So I, I think there, there, there is a line that you have to walk because yeah, it is still a business. You still got to make money, but I know I find myself on the friendly side of that line, even with the shops that I deal with. Um, Cause it is kind of my, my second job, but sometimes I'm 
maybe trying to help them out too much. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and, you know, that's the thing is that, um, there's nothing wrong with helping, right. But as shop owners and as technicians, our job to help is not necessarily doing that for free. Right. I think that's where the problem comes in is that we're not properly paid for doing what we do best. Right. There's nothing wrong with helping them and helping them can be that we charge them fairly. We didn't charge them exorbitantly. We didn't do things that didn't need to be done. We stood behind the work when we got done with it. That didn't mean we didn't get paid properly to do the work. Right. And and we get this idea in our head that if we don't charge them, we're helping them. Right. And that's where the that's where the whole mix up comes from, because we think that if, hey, man, I gave him a good deal. I didn't charge him as much for the parts. And I did this and I did that. And I know you're probably just like me. You've been there. You've done that. Or you, you've told somebody, hey, I'll, I know it's Friday, five o'clock. I'll get it done for you. And that next bolt breaks. Right. <laughs> and now yeah. everybody's peed off. Everybody's upset. You're mad because you're not going home. He's mad because he was going somewhere. Because A, we didn't set proper expectations. B, we didn't charge enough to take care of the client at the end of the day, right? So I think that's a really important thing that you pointed out is that it's really, it's easy to say, hey, I want to take care of these people. But it's misguided because we have the curse of knowledge, as my shop coach calls it. He's like, you know what you paid for those parts. You know what you're paying in labor. You know how much time it took you. But that doesn't mean, you know, you're looking at your wallet saying, this is what this is worth. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't charge appropriately, right? That's not where the basis of charge comes from in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what did, what did we always say on the, on the flat right side? It, it's not the, it's not the minutes it takes to, to fix or diagnose the vehicle. It's the years that it exactly. took to, accumulate the the experience and the knowledge to do it um and exactly. yeah and that's um f- f- in a number of different ways that can be maybe tough for this industry to put a price on the, you know right. for a technician what is what is your knowledge your time uh, what is that worth <laughs> in a dollar value Exactly. It, and it really is. And, and I think that, that if you look, we, you know, one of my big things that, that you and I talked about the other night is that all of these trainings that I go to, all of these different events that I go to, I'll talk to a technician and, and I'll say, Hey, you know, what kind of training are you looking for? You, you say you need training. What kind of training? Uh, I don't know. I need better pay. Okay. What does that better pay look like? What are you trying to achieve? You know, you want to buy a house? What is it that you want to accomplish with better pay? Uh, I don't know. Right. And you talk to the shop owners and he says, I just need better technicians. Okay. What's a better technician? I don't know. Right. <laughs> and and you can get a variety of answers, but it all kind of points back to the same thing. And And I think that it's time that we kind of unify and we kind of standardize a direction that that we all think the industry needs improvement. I think maybe it's time that we start actually working on it instead of complaining about it. What do you think about that? Well, I really like that idea because, yeah, we can uh, sit around and whine and complain all day. And hey, automotive technicians are known to do that, but uh, it doesn't right. really get you anywhere. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, you're talking about wages. Um, I was at Vision a few years back and I heard someone speaking in a class. And I, I want to say it was Ron Hagen of Westside Auto Pros. And he was talking about somebody who, um, who was a uh, refrigerator or appliance repair person. 
And he said, they explained to him that, you know, the service charge was X number of dollars. And he said, I'm not even going to tell you how much higher that was than my labor rate. And then we began to talk more. And he said, um, you know, so they tell me that they're going to charge me in half hour increments. And he said, my gosh, this is going to cost me more than a new oven. And they come out and they, the guy shows up in this truck and he pulls up in the driveway and he, he begins to talk to him and he said, you know, why, why do you, why'd you choose to do this? And he said, well, they train me, they buy my tools, they give me a truck, they pay me $80,000 a year. They give me every other weekend off. And it's pretty simple. I walk in here and push a few buttons on your oven. It tells me what's wrong with it. I call and order the part and I come back in a week. And if I, if I do so well, they pay me X of a bonus. Uh, you know, I'll make $90,000 this year and I work 40 hours a week. And he said, oh, man, Uh-oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I think that there were a lot of shop owners in that room who had the realization, maybe we're not paying our people well enough. Right. And one of the things that I've always said, and and I was super guilty of this because I came from the technician role. I was working in the back of the shop and I was not paying attention to the business. I wasn't managing or running the business. And one of the things that I figured out was, as I started to grow, that shop owners subsidize their customers' repair with the money that was supposed to feed their technicians, their service riders, their family was supposed to send their kids to college. And they do it because there's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of understanding of the system that works and how it works, right? There's a reason that those Firestones and those chain stores charge a little bit more than most independents do. It's because they know what their financials are. They know what they need to charge to be profitable. They have people they pay to make sure that store is profitable. Sure. How many of these independent shops are doing that today? I'm sure it's very few. You know, I was once told that the average net profit for an independent repair facility is net 5%. Boy. The goal Right. The minimum acceptable is 20 percent. The goal is 25. But the average is five. Man, that's rough. Right. And, and, that, and that's why they can't pay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. And and so I, I think if you're a technician and you're listening and you say, gosh, I would love to be able to earn a little bit more money. I think it's time you go and talk to your employer and say, hey, what are you doing for education? Right. Hopefully they don't fire you. Um, <laughs> you know, like in our shop, we have a mandatory 100 hours a year of training for all staff. It's all paid training. Right. They're paid to go to the training. They're paid for their meals while they're at the training. We go do something fun. We ride go karts. We go to an arcade. We do something like that. But there's one key to that is that everybody in the shop has the same 100 hours. Right. We all have to complete 100 hours, whether it's sales, management, leadership, technical. And we cross train. So the guys in the back, sometimes they'll take a service advisor class. And sometimes the guys in the front will take a technical class, right? To balance that knowledge out and have an understanding of where everybody else stands. And, and you know, my technicians come in here and say, hey, boss, man, I, I, you know, I saw something. This looks like a really good idea. I heard about this. What do you think about this? You know, and, and I tell my guys all the time, this is not my shop. This is your shop. And, and that's how we've built this culture. Our, our customers know we do what's best for them. The way I built that culture 
is by making sure my technicians and my service writers understood that our number one goal is to do what's best for our customers. And they are not my customers. They are not just here to pay your bills. They are part of your family. They are your customers. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. And it's an impressive number, hundred hours a year. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to benefit somebody just for reference, the ASE education foundation only requires instructors get 20 hours of training <laughs> per year. Right. Uh, you right. know, and that's, that's the, the minimum that you got to meet each year to stay uh, accredited. But, um, yeah, that's, that's so huge. Um, and like you were saying, across training, for technicians to understand what the service writer is going through and the right. the other way around, I'll tell you as a tech, it was just night and day difference when I'd work with a service writer or shop manager, whoever, who had been in a technician role at least some point, you know, whether they were a tech right. for a while or, you know, they'd had some hands-on experience, uh, man, it made, it made it so much easier. And I had done a little bit of service writing myself when I'd first started out, I had to write and sell all my own tickets. And so I could help them out a little bit on that. And it just made things gel a little bit easier. So I got to imagine if, if everyone is doing that in the shop, it's got to be uh, <laughs> a big improvement over the norm. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, we have fun, right? That's kind of what we're all about is, is we have a good time and, and, you know, we've got a technician here. He came from uh, uh, Staten Island or New York and um, he came in here and he said, you guys are going to drive me crazy. And I said, why? He said, because everywhere else I've ever been, everybody's like running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And you country boys are laid back. I don't know <laughs> if I can handle this. I said, no, nah, man, we're just, we're just chill. We're just going to relax. And the first couple of things he messed up. Yeah, man, we made fun of this kid for, for weeks. And I mean, I've, I've got to say it, you know, he, he checked a fuse seven times and I was sitting in my office in here and he's, it's pouring the rain, the trucks down here on the front line. And I said, go down there and check this fuse. And he came back in my office seven times. And I said, the fuse is blown. Go check it. And he said, it's not, I'm telling you, I checked the fuse. It's good. I promise. I said, man, pull the truck in here. We'll fix it. Walked around the front of the truck and put my finger on the number seven fuse, pushed on it. The truck fired up and he said, what? I said, pull the fuse out. Somebody had wrapped copper wire around the bottom of the fuse. I said, this is the country, man. We People here do whatever it takes to get off the side <laughs> of the road. You've got to get used to this. I told you the fuse was blown. He said, well, I pulled it up and looked at it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that's another thing is that when you've been in that position, when you have been in the tech role, it's a whole lot easier to look at a technician and understand, hey, I've made that mistake before. I've been through that. I'm not going to punish you for making a mistake. I just want to know what did you learn from it? Right. How are we going to grow from this situation? What are we going to take from this that make sure this doesn't happen next time? Now, it happens five or six times. We're going to have a problem. But if we're taking something from it and we're growing, man, I'm good with it, right? Mistakes happen. And, and again, that's the key in all of this is that we must be profitable. You know, six months ago, I had a situation where a transmission had been installed. It was a remanufactured unit mm -hmm. and it continually had problems. It had less than 10,000 miles on it. And I called the vendor and I said, I'm done with this. Just get me my money back. I'm going to give him a different transmission. 
And they said, yeah, we, we really can't do that. Now, because the shop generated a profit on that, we turned around and we bought the customer a $10,000 transmission job, basically, right? We did it in the shop, build out total on the job would have been $10,000 and it didn't cost him a dime. Wow. You can't do that if you're not profitable. Yeah, no kidding. Right. If the shop's not profitable, you can't take care of your people. You can't laugh about a silly, stupid mistake because you don't have enough money to pay for it. And, you know, I, I really believe that the way we get to this point, you know, I'm a moderator for the ASOG or Auto Shop Owners Group on Facebook. And I really believe that the way that we get to an area where we at least have a common understanding and we're at least working in the best interest of everyone else is a little bit of unity, a little bit of standardization, a little bit of education, a little bit of understanding. I've always been a big advocate that we need to get together as a group and the technicians need to brainstorm and they need to say, Hey, here's what we're up against. Here's what we're facing. And they need to take these concerns that have been boiling for so long they're unhappy about this. They're unhappy about that. And they need to, to really work those down into actionable items, right? Two or three things that we can take and say, all right, I can do something with this. And the shop owners who say, I can't find any good technicians. Everybody I hire, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, fine. Let's talk about that. Let's begin to boil that down into something that has some substance to it. Something that we can use. Is it training we're looking for? Okay, what kind of training? Same with service advisors. If we can get ourselves to the point that we're at least having a conversation about what the problem is and coming up with a solution instead of just whining and crying about what's wrong, think about what we could do. Yeah. And I assume you're, you're referring mostly to the independent aftermarket automotive world, right? Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Getting Educators, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I know that you know about this, right? Because this is something that, that I've been talking to. We talked about it, but I'm good friends with the high school educator here. And they've got this amazing shop. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably one of the most amazing shops you'll ever step foot in. I don't think you could find a dealer shop as nice as this shop. It and is that's at so a high well, school? At a high school, man. Wow. It's got a dyno in it. It's got brand new hunter equipment in it. It's got every piece of snap-on equipment you can imagine, every kind of trainer you could imagine, the nicest lifts around, everything you could ever want in a repair shop is in this facility. And, you know, some of the things we were talking about is, is you know, well, as a shop owner, and, and, you know, we've got apprentices here. North Carolina has an apprenticeship program, and I was blessed. I got a great apprentice. But as a shop owner, how do I hire someone that's fresh out of high school or fresh out of college. How do I know what they're proficient at? Right. And I know you know this, but most shop owners don't realize there's proficiency reports that a student could give to a employer. Mm -hmm. And, and most of these um, teachers, you know, they've got some concerns about the fact that we're taking these kids out of high school and college and we're going to put them in a shop and they learned how to rebuild alternators and starters and rebuild brake calipers. And we're yeah. going to put them in a shop that they're never going to see it, right? Yeah. It's not going to happen. A manual transmission rebuild or something. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, especially on a transmission that's been taken apart 25 times and a quarter of the parts aren't there in the first place. You know, like, yeah. man, we're really teaching them good ethics. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, We do our best with the 
standards that they have. So, you know, so we can be accredited with ASC, but uh, yeah, sometimes uh, you wonder, uh, does it need to be updated to something more modern uh, that's going to benefit them more? Uh, I mean, especially as entry-level technicians, um, right. when they get out there, even let's say, even if they go to a shop and end up rebuilding transmissions at some point, automatics or whatever, uh, it's going to be, you know, quite a bit of time before they reach that point. Um, you know, they work their way up there unless it's a really unique scenario. And I think a lot of these students, when they're first starting out, they would be better served with uh, just, I don't know, more, more intense basics, really yeah. hammering on those core things that are going to benefit you on a day-to-day basis, again, as an entry-level technician, basic electrical. Um, and th- that's, that's one of the big ones for me anyways, is I really try to get the basic electrical stuff just so they know that you know, right. with their, with their eyes closed. Um, so that all these complex things that are going to be flying at them might be a little bit easier, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, look, here's the deal. When a customer comes in my shop and, and I, I went on this journey a few years back where all of a sudden I realized that my customer service that I thought was great, wasn't so great, right? My customer service was built around on how I felt that day not how the customer perceived what was going on. And and in that journey to improve customer service, I realized it was all about setting proper expectations, right? And, and I'll give you an example. For years, when I answered the phone, I would say, hey, do you want to wait on it? And they'd say, I can wait on it? Sure, I'll wait on it. And I'm over here stressed out saying like, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to take care of this? When I was the one who set that expectation, not the customer, Right. Now, how does that tie into education? Well, I think that when we um, talk about setting proper expectations with that student, why do we lose students who have come out of school and gone into the industry? Why is it that they don't stay in the industry? I feel like a big part of it is we didn't set proper expectations, right? We didn't show them what they were going to be doing. We didn't show them in a lot of ways what the shop environment was going to be like. And if we're not setting proper expectations, that leads to a lot of disappointment, right? I would rather them find out in the beginning phases of high school, maybe this isn't something that I am interested in pursuing. I may not be rebuilding engines. There may not be a hot rod engine shop in town that I'm instantly going to go get a job at rebuilding hot rod engines, right? And I think that that plays a big part in where education needs to go is we have to be setting proper expectations for these kids. So when they come out, they know, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is likely where I'm going to start at. I don't think we see enough of that in education today. Yeah. And uh, we do try to take in, it's it's been tough with the COVID thing, but we do try to take in live vehicles when we're out in the shop that pertains to the course that we're in. So, and we have a parts department in the shop. And so we try to make it as real life as possible when we're out there in a low pressure scenario, because, you know, their students are going to break stuff. They're going to mess stuff up. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's part of the learning process. But when we take them out of the classroom, we move them in the shop. It's kind of like, Hey, we're, we're on the job at at a shop, you know, in imaginary. So they, they get that, uh, that feeling and they kind of understand how the flow of a normal day would go. And it's not perfect, but it, it, it's a start anyways. 
That's awesome. That is awesome. And you know, our high school up here is actually a working operating repair shop. Wow. And that's what's so cool about that. Now they they primarily just do stuff for the teachers, but the teachers will come in, the students will make an invoice, they'll go through the whole process with them. Right. And it's so cool to see this guy. And the the educator just came out of a shop and a very, very very smart guy and uh seeing him kind of come in and look at this curriculum and say i've never done that <laughs> you know, this guy's been in a shop for longer than i've been in business and he's like i didn't do that 10 years ago what in the heck is this yep you know it's great it's uh, when great. i went through the ase task list when i started i, I was like yeah i haven't done that on since I w- went through the program <laughs> in school on a couple of these things, not everything. They do have some good stuff in there. It's it's not the entire thing, but there are some items where it's they right. get definitely a little outdated or really, really specialty. Not that these things don't happen, but you got to go again. Yeah, you got to go be a machinist at a machine shop to do some of right. these things or a special rebuilder of some sort. And yeah, that's a route for somebody, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's the majority of at least our students that are graduating. They're going to right. just average shops and dealerships. Right. Right. And, and so I've got to ask you at what percentage, so if, if you could put a percentage on it, how many of your students that leave your classroom are going into the field versus those that decide, Hey, I'm going a different route. How many do you see go into the field and stay? Uh, yeah. Stay is the word there. I, I would say the majority of them have gone into the field. Um, I, I do the second year. And so the ones that make it through the two years are usually pretty interested and, and pretty involved. Well, maybe I should back up here. So the way we do it is we have basically two groups in the first year of 18 students, and it condenses down into one group in the second year. And you have to have a high enough GPA, which sounds like it might be kind of harsh, but really it works itself out because a lot of times that for half of that first year group isn't ready. They decide that's not what they want to do. Um, or, you know, Hey, I learned what I wanted out of this. I can do brakes and oil changes and tires and stuff like that. Um, and so we do actually lose a lot of interest after that first year. Um, and then through the second year, uh, again, most of them end up going right into a shop, right into the industry and they're already working. I, I think all but two or three of my students at the moment are in a shop working part-time um as far as as far as staying um that's that's another question um you know i don't i I stay up to date with as many of them as i can keep in touch i have a facebook group of the graduates um i know a number of them are still in the industry but there yeah there's there's uh, there's definitely some that have decided to go different routes after they realized oh okay yeah, this this isn't what I expected, or a lot of times I'm not making as much money as I thought I'd be making. Um, or hey, there's a way better opportunity to make more money fixing right. ovens, like you said, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and look, I I think, like I said, for me it all comes back to education. It all comes back to unity and and a standardized process, a standardized direction. You know, when so when I started learning diag or taking my diag to the next level. I was a big scanner Danner fan, right? His process just made sense to me, right? Definitely. I can pick up on it. You know, it worked. I know it worked. Um, and it made me 
a much, much better technician. But beyond that, it alerted me to something that my mind was just naturally good at. And that was divergent thinking, if you will, thinking outside of the box and troubleshooting was something that I was naturally good at. And I found that I was also naturally good at doing that with my business, right? I, was, I had a natural talent to look at the business and begin to fix things. And so, you know, I, I read a book one time and, and if there's business owners listening, I, I would encourage you to, to get the book. It's called The E-Myth by Michael okay. Gerber. And in The E-Myth, one of the things he's talking about is a lady who buys a bakery and she says, you know, I just want all these problems to go away. This is so much work and all these things are going wrong. I really just, I can't handle this kind of pressure. I, I, I don't know what's going on. And, and he said, well, what do you want to do? She said, well, I just want to bake cupcakes. She said, I'm really good at baking cupcakes. And he said, well, you need to make the decision right now because the reality is a business that bakes and sells cupcakes and running that business is not the same job as baking and selling cupcakes. What do I mean by that? The, the business of working on cars and, and what it takes to manage and run a business that repairs automobiles and cares for those customers, that's a different task list. list. That's a different ability. That's a different need that you have to meet than being able to fix the car. We can be really good at fixing the car. And, and you know, in ASOG, we see the majority of shop owners are guys who were in the bay. They were unhappy about how they were taken care of. They were unhappy about how they were paid. And they say, I'm going to start my shop. And we see these fantastic, fantastic technicians start a business and struggle. And now, as opposed to having a job that they were unhappy with, they don't have a business that's rewarding. They have a job that has a whole lot more stress and a whole lot more liability, but they still have a job. That's a problem. And, and the information is there to get you over that hump, but you've got to know to look for that information. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen really talented individuals do that same thing is, you know, I don't want to work for somebody in this industry anymore. And so I'm going to go right. out and do my own thing. And, uh, some people are really successful at it and, and some aren't. Um, I mean, me personally, I do my mobile thing, but it, it is not a model business by any means. It, it, right. It's really, it's, it's more self-serving in the fact that I get to go fix cars. Like you said, that's what I like to do. I don't right. like running a business. I'm not good at it. I haven't taken the time there because it, the business side of it, quite frankly, doesn't really interest me that much. Right. The cars yes. interest me. I want to be under the hood. I want to be, I want those crazy, weird diagnostic challenges. That's, that's why I do it. But yeah, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be breaking the bank. Now, luckily I got a full-time job to, to help me out there. But what you're saying is hundred percent true is an extremely talented individual could be awesome at this skill set, but maybe not so, so well at actually getting that, that profit margin above 5% or, or doing what they need to do to pay their people. And, and, you know, I, so I was telling you the other night, um, ASOG has dinners at big training events. So the ASTE event in Raleigh was where we had our last dinner. Uh, we have a dinner at Vision uh, every year. 
And it's a little bit of a fundraiser. And what we do is we create an educational package and we take somebody that's a shop owner and we take them to a training event like Vision, all expenses paid. And so, and, and we sometimes we take husband and wife, you know, lots of different things that we do. But we were at a dinner, I think it was two years ago. And two of my friends were sitting at the table and he, one of them was, was complaining about this, that, or the other. And, and my other friend looked up at him and said, you know, you should have never been a business owner. And this guy's face just sunk. Right. I'm thinking I'm between you two. How do I, you know, how do I exit this situation? And, and what he said next, and, and this friend who we both know is known for being extremely blunt and extremely brash. Um, but he said, you know, you should, you're too good of a tech. You should have never been a business owner. Somebody in a shop somewhere that you were working for should have paid you better, should have done more to take care of you, should have encouraged you to learn and grow as a technician, not a business owner, because that's what's wrong with our industry. Everybody's leaving it to own their own business because somebody wasn't taking care of them. Now, I think to a degree that's probably true. I think a lot of people just want to be their own boss. They want to come out and start their own shop and do their own thing and do it their own way. But, you know, I think there's also a lot of folks who really just want to get away from this negative situation, this poor pay, whatever it is. And, and they find themselves in a more stressful, more dangerous situation, higher liability situation than they ever needed to be in. Yeah, uh, I, th- we're seeing a lot. At least I see a lot more of technicians going to the mobile programming diagnostics route right. um, than has been present in the past. And, and maybe there, there, an argument could be made that there's a need for it more than there has been in the past. I don't know that for sure. But like you're saying, it's something where if the scenario was right in the shop for that guy who or guy or girl who is really good at what he does, um, why, why wouldn't you stay there? Everything exactly. you have is right there. You get to go home at night and, and be home. You're not working anymore. If you're running a business and you're doing this and this is your, your baby, it's your business. You don't, you don't go home. <laughs> it, exactly. it goes with you. You're it always going to be getting off. calls. Yeah. Um, and so, there's a there's a trade-off there. And I think going back to what you were saying is why are so many people willing to make that trade-off? What is it about, you know, working in a shop <laughs> that makes you want to work twice as hard for maybe maybe the same amount of pay, maybe you're making more, depends on and how, how you roll that. But what is it <laughs> that's kind of forcing people to go that direction? Well, so I, I think there's a lot of things that forced them to go that direction. Like in that conversation, you know, it was a pay issue. It was a respect issue. It was, even though this individual was telling his previous employer, Hey, we're not charging enough to do this testing, right? We're not going to be profitable. This isn't, you know, you want to charge a blanket fee to do a testing routine. I can't do that. That doesn't work. Right. And so, 
I think that we continue to go down that path and, and it builds this situation where we have some negativity. It starts as this little bit of negativity that grows and grows and grows. And the shop owner looks at the tech as the problem and the tech looks at the owner as the problem. And it begins to grow or it could be service writer, whoever it is. And I think that that's where some type of event that would be much like the state of the industry, bringing them together, right? And really understanding their concerns and working towards those concerns, right? Because if we don't start taking some action, there's some things coming up in our industry. You and I both know about them, that if we don't start taking action and start formulating a plan where we can all come together with a solution and say, hey, if we all work towards this and we're all saying the same thing, singing to the same tune, we can make a difference. But if we don't, right, then the powers that be, those that have way more money than we do, right, those that have the louder voices than we do, and and maybe you can look at that and say it's the manufacturers. Maybe you can look at that and say it's a part vendor, right? Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy installing doorman parts on cars? <laughs> No, because I got to go back and do it later. <laughs> right, right. And and do you think, even though there's probably 3,000 of us who complain about doorman parts on a daily basis, do you think they care that we think their parts are junk? Well, they keep on selling them, so probably not. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, if we came together and and we took... 500, 1,000, 2,000 people. And we went to Dorman with, with, you know, a letter that says all these people signed and said, you're ruining our industry. Quit selling this junk or we're going to, we're going to report you. We're going to complain to somebody. We're going to complain to enough people that, that, you know, they'll have to listen because they don't want to keep getting our letters. Do you think they would do something different? Of course they would. Right. It becomes an image problem at that point. Right. And I'm not saying we should do that. I mean, Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe but, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess my point is, is that if we're all talking to the same tune, we have a whole lot more power than if we're going in different directions and there's no solution present. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is one of the things I really wanted to discuss with you is how we can work towards something like that in the aftermarket independent world. How, how do we get something together where we can unify? What does that look like? Well, you know, so I've sat down and I have thought of every single reason it would not work. And I have uh, conveyed those reasons to a dear friend of mine. And he said, yep. And that's why nobody's ever done it. But that's why I'm giving you the kickstart to do it. So now you're doing it. (laughs) And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I meant. But I'll tell you what I envisioned. Right. Here's what I envision. I I think you take an organization. And so here in North Carolina, that's the independent garage owners of North Carolina. Um, Maybe it's an organization like the auto shop owners group. But you take that organization and you say, hey, let's pull some of our technicians that are interested in a in a better industry who are interested in making things better, who see something more than just a job. They want to leave a legacy. They want to they want to have something more from this. Let's pull those technicians and let's let's talk to the shop owners who might be interested and let's find some people like service writers who may be interested. Let's talk to our educators who want to see a difference. Let's talk to our vendors who genuinely want to see a difference and let's get them together. Right. And in my the way my mind 
put this together was, is let's say we've got five technicians. Well, we put those five technicians at a table with a spokesperson, maybe a moderator, right? And the same thing in another room. And those are shop owners and, and the other rooms, so on and so on. And they sit down and they talk for hours, 30 minutes, an hour. That's not enough takes a, a good bit of time and they have some lunch and they, they continue to talk and they start with what their complaints are. And then slowly they begin to work those complaints into truly actionable concerns, right? One of the things that I always talk about when I'm, I'm trying to get training scheduled, for instance, for IGONC is what are the three actionable items? You can talk all day, but if you don't bring three things that a shop owner can say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and it will make a difference in my business, right? We have to have actionable items. So I would like to see them come together and say, let's work together. We're not all going to agree. We're not all going to see the same thing, but let's just sit down and work through this until we can find the three biggest things we face. Is it tech pay? Is it benefits? Is it tooling? Is it is it shop owners not charging properly? Now, same thing with the shop owners, right? They come together and they they put up their biggest things. What are the biggest ones that everybody at the table agrees? These are our biggest things. Now, if you have more than one table, you put somebody up front that says, okay, we've got the four spokespeople. Those four spokespeople are going to meet. They're going to talk. They're going to tell you what each of them found, and then we'll have more discussion. And then slowly work those smaller groups back into one group. Now, the reason that I came up with this is because when we look at events like ASTE in North Carolina, which is the largest training in the Southeast for the automotive industry, everybody comes and says, well, I want to see this kind of training. I want to see hands-on training. I want to see this. I want to see chapter meetings. I want all these different things. But you know what happened, Sean? Nobody attends the trainings, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, ASTE, it has a huge turnout, right? But what if we provided more benefit in that training through something like a state of the industry? What if we got training that folks really, really wanted to see? What if we got in their face some of the things that we really face as problems and started taking action. And then we use organizations like IGONC or ASA or MWACA or whoever it may be to begin to take action on these problems through education, through unity, right? All of this starts with a conversation. This all comes from coming together and understanding what someone else faces and trying to move us forward. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to happen overnight? Absolutely not. Is it going to fail multiple times? But if we don't start taking steps forward, we can't ever expect anything in our industry to change, right? We've been complaining about what's wrong for years, but we've never been taking those steps forward. Now, there's people taking action. I don't want to discredit what they're doing. You know, you look at... at um Chris Chesney's efforts with uh, the road to great technicians. It's a great effort, but what would happen with an effort like that? If everybody knew about it, everybody was unified. Everybody was moving in that direction. So I think in a way, this is where these local organizations that are supposed to lead and guide the industry in their areas have failed, right? It's their job to bring everybody together and get them led in that direction. At least that's my take on it. 
Well, I, I like that. Um, I'm thinking about this from a technician's perspective. Um, of course, you know, that's where I spent most of my time in the field. And I know that there's a lot of technicians listening to this podcast. And so if you were a, you know, average technician in a shop doing the day-to-day stuff and you feel like, yeah, this, this sounds great. This would be great for my shop or my area and my pay and, and my career. What would you do as a technician? as an individual to move towards this? Who, who do you reach out to? Where do you go? What do you do? Well, so in, in most of these cases, if you will send me a message on Facebook or you'll shoot me an email or shoot me a, uh, you know, text, whatever, I'm happy to give you my information, reach out. And I will at least search high and low until I find somebody in your area to put you in touch with. Now, if you want to be a part of what we're trying to do here in North Carolina, you don't even have to be from North Carolina. We would love to hear your input, right? You know, I, I well, at the beginning of this, I said that that this shop that I'm sitting in right now, it's not my shop. It's my technician's shop. It's my service writer's shop. It's my staff shop. So I really depend on their input. I depend on their perspective and their feelings about things, right? It's really important to me. So I depend on yours too because I want to make our industry better. So I would love to hear your opinion and your thoughts on this. Even if you're from California, it doesn't matter to me. You're welcome to attend an event like this if we ever get something put together. But the first step is finding a local organization and saying, Hey guys, um, I really want to see some change in our industry. Is there anything I can do to help and judge their activity level? And I think you'll find many of these associations have died off a little bit. If you don't find that they are being active, you've got to take action yourself and make them active. Right. Right. Uh, These organizations have a board of directors. And in most cases, if you get active and you start pushing, they'll say, we've been looking for somebody like you with your energy for a long time. We want to make things better, too, but we just don't know what to do. Right. Many of these boards are occupied by older, retired shop owners and technicians. But if you come in there with some energy and say, hey, I want to make things better. How can I help? What can I do? How can I guide us? That's a great way to start. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I know one thing that you could search for as well, as far as a, a group to get involved that, you know, you can make you know, these sort of impacts on the industry is if you have a local community college uh, and they are accredited and sometimes even if they're not, they'll have an advisory committee. And that's a great place to go to. um, Absolutely. To, you know, to network and, and really, you know, affect the industry. Um, We can obviously, you know, work towards some of the goals that you're talking about. um, But in, being able to talk to the instructors and other local shop owners and put your input into what do you want to see, you Absolutely. know, in, in the technicians that are coming out of a program. That's, that's a big one too. If somebody's searching for uh, some way to make a difference. Absolutely. And and I'm going to tell you, you know, when I started attending all of the advisory council meetings, I really began to get a new perspective. I began to see what they were up against And, you know, I'd always heard shop owners say, ah, the local community college, they're not doing a good job. The instructors are burnout, blah, 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 blah. Right. 
that was the standard rhetoric that we heard coming from, from shop owners. And when I went, I realized that most of them are fired up and ready to do something. They're excited. They love their kids. They love what they're teaching them, but they need help. They need direction. They need guidance. They need your support in other ways too. But do you know how many shop owners go to advisory council meetings? Very few. Yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah. As, not as many as you think. Uh, we have pretty good turnout around here, but I mean, it's constant maintenance. You gotta you gotta keep up and make sure that people are still interested and still want to come and and get right. involved in everything. But um, I'll, I'll tell you just a just a quick story on how powerful those advisory committees are. Um, our auto body program, which is separate from ours, but you know we're we're close with the instructor and the program there. It was going to be shut down this past, uh, what was that, the past spring in uh, 2019. And the advisory committee came together, and this was all local shop owners and former students, technicians. They came together and they rallied and they got together with the president of the college. And I mean, the, the program was months away from being completely closed down. The shop was going to be leveled. They were going to use it for something else. And they basically put their foot down and, you know, the, obviously the instructor didn't want to leave. He didn't want to lose his job or, or teach something else. That's what he did. But it was the, the business owners and the people from the community that really stepped in and made it happen. And allowed this program to continue. And, you know, we, there were some things that needed to be met and they, they came to an agreement, but it was really, really cool to see, you know, what a group of people, you know, coming together could do, could say, Hey, you can't close this program down. And they didn't. And I, I was pretty inspired by that. That that's fantastic. And so much of this, right. So much of what we're talking about in industry improvement comes from a education and B community. Right. And, and here's the thing is there's no reason not to be involved now. Right. Because you can even get on social media. You know, we have uh, Facebook groups for our local advisory councils and we'll, we'll get in there and chat and we'll talk about all the great things. And so much growth has happened even right here in our local community, just from the advisory councils. Right. And the shop owners get together and they begin to talk and they say, man, I do, that's a great idea. I've never thought of that. Right. And, and that grows into a bigger and bigger organization. And I think that it's really important. So if you're a technician and you don't have some type of local technician gathering, you know, I, I know, you know, Brandon deals, Brandon started something here in North Carolina where they have, uh, you know, monthly diag meetings. And they go around to other shops and, and it's, you know, it's, we're going to diagnose a vehicle, but it's really getting to hang out and, and see what other people are going through, seeing what people are dealing with. And, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I had a shop owner tell me a while back, he said, you know, I just feel like I'm on an Island and mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I've got any support. I feel like I'm alone. And we got to talking about it. And he said, you know, he said between ASOG and going out and hanging out with you guys that are at these trainings, I've really learned that I'm not on an island. Everybody else is going through this too. Man, that's huge. Right. When I was going through diet problems, seeing other people go through problems too, realizing I can figure this out was huge for my morale, if you will. It kept me moving forward. So if you don't have a local kind of gathering in your community, I would encourage you to start one. 
Now it's a lot of work and you've got to make sure it's focused <laughs> the energy in the right direction, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that, um, I had, uh, had a gentleman on the podcast, uh, that was a couple of months ago. And we talked about that. He, he runs a Pico club out in California where they get together and they just scope everything. And, uh, it was just a really, really awesome idea to network with other technicians and get to know the people around. And I, I have said that exact same thing in the past that I felt like I was on an island as far as the interest and the passion that I had for what I did. And I'll say, you know, social media has its really strong negatives, but that's one thing that I really credit the Facebook groups with was seeing that I was not, I was not alone. There's a lot of other people right. that are really interested in this stuff too. It's so cool. Um, so right. There's there's a number of really good Facebook groups out there too that you can start meeting and talking with. I mean that's how I met Brandon, met you. Uh, that other otherwise I'd probably never meet any of these people, you know, or, or not know exactly. about all these training events and stuff like that. So it's a positive exactly. side to social media. Yeah, uh, that might be the only positive side <laughs> at this point. I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not going to say yeah. that a hundred percent, but we're we're getting close, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but so, you know, and I, I think that, that if we have technicians listening who say, okay, you know, look, I, I go into my shop and they say, Hey, you've got an hour to test this, you know, get that shop owner in a group like ASOG, get that shop owner to the local shop owners association, start getting him help. Don't look at him like he's doing this to screw somebody over. There are shop owners who are, who are definitely doing this for greed, but the majority of them are doing it because of a lack of knowledge, right? A lack of understanding of how this works. There's a way to run a profitable business and, and it's a very set kind of formula, if you will, it can be done and, and everybody can be happy, but most likely it's because your shop owner has not found that education. Maybe they were a tech first, maybe they're burnout. Who knows what it is, but get them involved with some education first, right? Seek first to understand where they're coming from and lead them in a direction as opposed to just thinking they're out to get you. So that's my perspective as a, as a shop owner. I, I think it's really important that you do that. Um, you know, when I explain our diag process to customers, it kind of blows everybody's mind when they come into the shop, but I'll explain, hey, Mrs. Customer, our level one testing routine is $125. In about 90 to 95% of all cases, I'm able to determine the cause or causes of your concern. Now, Mrs. Customer, in the other 5 to 10% of the time, I will need to escalate to a level two. Now, it's a lot like going to the doctor's office, Mrs. Customer. You see, if you fall and you hurt your arm and the doctor comes in, he looks at it and he says, you know, I think your arm's broken. I can see abrasion. I can see some damage to your arm, but I need to do an x-ray to determine what the real cause is. Now, I'm not like the doctor. I'm pretty nice. I'm going to tell you how much that additional testing is up front, but I may have to do additional testing to determine the true cause of your concern. And now the customer understands because I'm painting a picture. I'm showing them that it's not just as simple as me plugging a code reader in and looking at something. And I'm an advocate for my customer, right? We lose sight as technicians and shop owners sometime. And, and we think that this is about us. 
we're serving a customer and our number one job is to ensure that their car remains safe and reliable. It's our job to do what's best for them. We're professionals. That's our job. That's what we do. So it's very important that we don't lose sight of this, but it's also very important that we're paid appropriately. So if a test is going to take you an hour, so let's say, you know, my level one, I go in, I do a basic scan, I find the information, I'll do a overview, I might check a few mechanical items that I can quickly check, things that I know are associated with it, and I provide a report back to the customer. Now, Mrs. Customer, what I need to do is I need to do a fuel pressure test, a fuel volume test, I need to, see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm building my testing out for them. I'm explaining where I'm going. And that keeps them informed. It's setting expectations. It's meaning that the technician is paid properly. We're not pushed to do a diag more quickly than we should because now all of a sudden we're paying them to do the diag. We're ensuring the car's fixed, right? Yeah. And our customers here have been trained to understand that that's what we're trying to accomplish. This is how I take care of you. This is what we do. Now, if every shop in the United States would follow some sort of a similar pattern, right? And the reason I say that is, and I think I told you this the other night, I've got a friend who's a doctor and he said, um, do you know why when you walk into a doctor's office, the process is the same almost every single time? regardless of which doctor's office you're going to. And I said, no, why is that? He said, well, partially because we're trained in medical school, but secondly, because we have associations and we go and attend educational meetings that they push us to do things the same way. And he said, yeah, there's a part of it because it's efficient and they know what works best. He said, that that's a very small part of it. He said, what you need to understand is, is that we're dealing with people in the most stressful times in their lives. We might be telling them they have cancer. We might be telling them their loved one is going to pass away. It's a very, very stressful time. And he said, so I don't want them thinking about, oh, where am I supposed to go? What door am I supposed to go to? What window am I supposed to go to? What do I need to fill out? Where do I need to sit? What do I need to do? He said, most every doctor's office operates the same way because it is such a high stress environment. We want to reduce that stress as much as possible. And to that, I said, we're dealing with our second largest investment they'll ever make. And I know a car is not an investment. It's a means to an end. But anyway. Spend <laughs> a lot of money on them. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought, you know, we have a duty as professionals to provide that level of service and courtesy to our customers too. But the focus needs to be on the customer and doing what's best for them. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, being cheap, not charging properly, not charging for testing is not what's right for your customer. They've been trained that that's what's right. They've been told that's what's right, but it's not what's right. We can't do the job we need to do if we don't charge properly. We can't stand behind the work that we do if we don't charge properly. If I do a diag and we come back and trust me, we have missed diags all the time. I'm not even going to tell you the story about the technician from Staten Island who just changed two wheel bearings and a differential trying to find the other wheel bearing. <laughs> And guess who paid for those missed diags? And guess who did it as he smiled? Why? Because I know it was what was best for my customer. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't made a profit and secured the business in such a way that it's able to do that. And you don't do that charging one hour for diag. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, if uh, if I was a tech, full-time tech still, it'd be it'd be great to work for somebody like you. Um, yeah, it's it's missing out there that that attitude and um, that ideal, uh, you know, in, in just your average shop. And I, I I know because I see it every day when I go out doing mobile stuff. And maybe it's because the shops that are using a mobile technician are are really far behind. They they don't have that figured out. Um, but I know enough that there's just a lot of shops out there that haven't figured it out. So. Um, again, it's, this is, this podcast is mostly going to reach technicians. Um, but there may be some business owners out there as well. Um, but they can push, they, they can move this message up the line. They can start talking to their service writers and shop owners and, um, have them listen to this podcast, you know? Exactly. And this is, this is where it starts at. Right. This is where, because if, if technicians can understand and have a little bit of compassion for the owner or the service writer and understand this is not a negative thing, right? This is not that they're trying to, to tear you down. I'm going to tell you now this, this shop owner job, man, it's stressful, right? And you've got to talk to some people who are super upset sometimes. And sometimes you didn't even do anything about it. And the phone's ringing off the hook and there's a lot that a shop owner does that you may never ever realize they have to do. Even if they're not at the shop, they're working. I wake up at 3 a.m. saying, oh, my God, how are we going to get all this done? <laughs> right. And and you've got to understand as a technician that many of the things that you're seeing that you feel like is a shop owner doing something against you. And, and they may be. I don't know. I'm not in your situation. But in many, many cases, they just can't see you. They can't understand you. And they don't understand how to communicate because it wasn't long ago. They were a technician too. Communicating is huge as a shop owner, but it's something that that leadership component is very hard to grow and learn how to use. So if you nudge your shop owner, you might be able to accomplish more than you think you could. And you might be able to do it way quicker than you ever could imagine. And Sean, by the way, we're hiring, right? I'm building a bigger <laughs> shop. So if you want to come on, I mean, listen, and, and it doesn't get cold, right? It, yeah, you know, it does. It does, but not that cold. Uh, now, now I, I like playing hockey a lot. So they got hockey rinks out there. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my technician from Staten Island said the exact same thing today. And he said, um, he came in and he said, you know, we're probably going to have to get me a bigger size pant. And I said, why? He said, because there's no hockey rinks here and y'all got this good Southern food, man. It is just, <laughs> it's hard to say no. Yes, <laughs> man, you're not gonna be able to fit under the dashes anymore. Come on now. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on for this? No, I, I think that's it. I, okay. I really do. And I, right. I think we conveyed this in a way that, that, you know, I, I think that compassion, understanding, networking, that's where all this begins to grow, you know? And, and um, I think a lot of times we look at competition and we say that the shop down the streets competition, the tech down the streets competition, you look out here on any given highway at any given time, there's more cars than we could fix if we all came together and tried to fix them at once. 
There's plenty of work out there. There's no reason to be in competition with one another. Let's lend a hand and try and help each other. Let's try and educate each other, right? Let's, let's send somebody to the scanner down or YouTube channel. If they don't understand something, these older techs, you know, I see a lot of older techs who really are kind of disgruntled with young techs. And if you're a young tech and an older techs being that way with you, don't take it personally, just move on, right? Ignore the yeah. guy and show him that, eh, sorry, I'll do it without you. And if you're an older tech that's disgruntled, shame on you, right? Maybe yeah. you're not getting paid enough. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Our attitude is everything, right? It's so huge. Every, everybody's so, got to start somewhere, you know? So That's it. That's it. Awesome. Well, thanks for your, uh, doing this. This was great. I appreciate it. I hope it works out well for you. I had a blast. Anytime you want to do it again, you know where to find me. All right. One more real big thank you to Lucas for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed that interview. Uh, it was a really good perspective uh, for someone who's in the role of a shop owner uh, that can look at it from both ways and see it from the technician's point of view and the person running the business because uh, there's definitely two sides of it. Um, but hopefully you learned something and enjoyed that episode. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening and hopefully enjoying the podcast. But that is all that I've got for you today. So... Let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.